you could uh, remain standing for the reading of the word. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, who's probably everybody in here, my name is Grant, uh, and I'm going to be reading the scripture today. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand at the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left in the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Grant. Well done. Well done. Good morning. Hey, uh, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. It's really good to be with you this morning. I, uh, um, great day yesterday. I joined a group of about 20 of us that served, as you saw pictures up there, uh, over at, at Northeast Emergency Food Bank, which is just, it's uh, tucked away in a neighborhood just about 15 blocks from here or so. And uh, it, was, it was just a fantastic experience. Um, we had a a uh, longtime kind of leader and, and board member here named Howard Kenyon, who um, has retired and moved away. Um, but he helped get that going and led that for a number of years. Uh, it's in a, a church called Luther Memorial. It's an old Lutheran church that's been there for decades. And uh, the whole entire basement is set up for this food distribution process. Uh, there was over 300 people that came through uh, with a cart, each one of those representing either one themselves or families of five, six, seven plus in that range. And so um, it, was, it was a ton of people. It was so fun. And so it gave us a, a clear vision and uh, actually a chance and an opportunity to interact with the people that we give food to that many of us don't ever see or, or know are out there. And so um, as talking to the people that run that uh, whole thing, they, that folks come from all over Portland, take the bus, get there, uh, and then are able to take, they, they shop for free. They're, uh, it, clients that come through, that's what every person is, is referred to as, as a client that comes through and gets to shop not pay anything, it's all free, uh, and then take it to, to their families that need it. And so uh, when we bring bags of food next week and, and cover the stage with food, um, it will go to those of us within our church family and our friends uh, that have need for food, and then it will go uh, to that uh, Northeast Emergency Food Program that just serves so many people. So um, as Connor said, please, uh, please remember, bring a, a bag, uh, no judgment on what kind of bag um, at all. All are welcome. Okay, honest, for real. You can bring whatever bag you want, leave it here. Non-perishable food items, and we get to, we get to just serve people uh, in need. Um, also, just want to, will you, will you just thank uh, Mark and Kendra Roll, who are leading us in worship this morning? So, 
um, yeah, I just really appreciate you guys and, and volunteering. And, and then we're just going to keep this um, going back and forth. Mark and I are competing for who gets to mention the other one most recently on the mic. So uh, that's not really mature or anything spiritual. That just happened. And, and there, there you go. Um, I, I want to mention one other thing uh, to us as a church. On, uh, on Monday, actually, thank you. First of all, two things maybe. Thank you to all of those of you that helped move our offices from across the street up into the second and third floor here. Um, I, hope, I hope that was clapping for somebody and not for yourself. But if it was for yourself and you helped move, that's totally understandable. So many people stayed and helped. We, uh, this space is full every Monday night uh, with an AA group called the Loyola Group, which we love partnering with. Uh, and they've got a tremendous history here in the city of Portland. Uh, they had about a dozen men who showed up and helped carry stuff over, which, gosh, they did all the heavy stuff, it seems like, and uh, were just fantastic. So um, if you're a part of that uh, AA group, thank you. Um, if, if you know about them or ever see anybody who's part of it, just give them a thanks and a, and a props and just such a, a, a great opportunity for us to steward our building really well. Uh, we let them use it every Monday night and they take care of it and clean it so well. And, uh, and they helped us move up. So that was fun. Monday, as we're getting situated up here, um, in this space right here, we move all these chairs out and put some tables in and uh, students from Grant High School walk down and have uh, pizza for a dollar uh, lunch. And we've been doing that for, I don't know, I think this is, we're into our third school year right now. It looked a little bit different uh, on Monday because of uh, the strike that is going on currently. Uh, and we still had a, a good number of students. They were able to stay longer because they didn't have a class to go to, um, which if you were to, to take a poll or a survey, um, that's fun for some of them. Um, other kids, uh, of, of students, if you take a poll of students, most of them would say it's fun. I don't know any parents that are in agreement with that, but um, they still ran around in here and played games and, and those kind of things. And I tell you that not only to just mention um, how we actually get into contact and get to um, just open up safe, fun space uh, and interact with high school students, um, most of which do not know Jesus, uh, and give them a positive experience inside a building they don't even know as a church building for most of them. Um, but it's just another way that we're using our space really, really well. Um, but the other reason I want to mention is I just want to pray for the strike and all that's going on. For those of you that are families that are directly affected by it, uh, whether you're a teacher um, or have students in, in Portland Public Schools right now, it's, uh, it's not fun. And I don't, maybe there's new information, I don't know, but there doesn't seem to be any like nugget of this is ending uh, sooner in the next 24 hours or before school starts tomorrow. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll go to scripture together uh, with what we heard uh, Grant read uh, just a few moments ago. So let's pray together. God, you know exactly what is going on in each and every one of our lives. Uh, you know the things that we are excited about and pleased with. You know the things that we are deeply anxious about. You know the things that we're struggling with, that we're scared of. You know each and every one of us and what we're experiencing and feeling. You know our city and you know the struggles and the challenges of it, uh, particularly as it relates to our school system right now and, and to uh, the strike that is going on. And as we drive around and see um, teachers and family and friends and students uh, holding picket signs and as we read updates and, um, online and, and talk to people that are in the know, um, it's it's very complex. Uh, don't claim in any way to understand all of the issues or even be able to name them. Um, but we do know that it affects uh, daily lives for so many uh, students, um, their learning process, their 
um, time with friends, um, how they're being grown and stretched and coached and taught and all of that. And it puts tremendous stress on families and schedules and care and all of that. And so um, we know that there's teachers um, that have very real issues that want to be heard and validated and addressed. And we have systems and schools and government and um, budgets um, that are on the other side of that. And, and so God, we, we ask for you to intervene and to make a solution that no human could possibly come to uh, in, the, in the moment, um, but would you provide a way through? Uh, would there be um, clarity, uh, decision, that actually if everybody could be pleased, that would be a miracle. And so we ask for that and that school would resume uh, and that students' and families' lives would not be any further disrupted. Holy Spirit, as we always do, we invite you into this time as we open up your word and seek to hear from it and from you. And would you work and move as we're reading your story through the book of Acts. Holy Spirit, we give you permission and ask and request that you would work and move, not just in this space and time, but in each and every one of us. And Jesus, as we've already sung and declared today, you are the Messiah, you are the Redeemer, you're the Savior. And we ask you now to teach and guide us as we look to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I, uh, <clears throat> I played a game that I loved. Uh, I, I'm not very good at video games. Um, I have not played a lot of them, but I have played a few and I've played them over and over and over. And um, uh, I'm decent at them, um, which means um, anyone that is about my age, I could hang with and not be easily defeated. That's what that means. Um, I played uh, Modern Warfare 3 uh, when it came out over 10 years ago. And uh, if, if you could, I about wore out that Xbox 360 disc playing Modern Warfare 3. They have just rebooted it. And for some of you, um, you know that because you pre-downloaded it and you started playing it, the campaign, and then 48 hours ago or so when the whole thing went live, uh, you've not slept a bunch. And so if that's why you're watching from home, I understand it and, I, and that's fair enough. Uh, Modern Warfare 3 is a video game, Activision put it out. Uh, my son, as I've raised him and discipled him in this, uh, he appreciates this game. And uh, Owen and I downloaded it uh, early. Uh, he played a little bit of it. Um, I did not. And then Friday, uh, when it was the whole thing was available, we sat down and played it a little bit together. Um, I don't care about uh, the build-out. If you know what that is, uh, you're a video game nerd. I don't care about uh, which level, which, which scene we're playing. I, all I want to do is, is shoot people that don't really exist. That's all I want to do. I just want to shoot and run around and see how long I can survive without dying. And so if you think less of me for that, that's totally fair, and we can have a conversation about video games later. But the point is this. In order to play that, I had to click through the terms of service. Do you know what those are? And before you play, you had to click, uh, I've read and agreed. And as you know, this is one point of conviction for each and every one of us, because we've never read nor agreed. We just, we just click it and move on. I was punching the button going, it's not working. And he goes, dad, you've got to scroll through the whole thing. And I was like, there's more? And so it's all this fine print that's too small for human eyes to read. And you've got to scroll through. And it was like pages and pages and pages. And I'm just scrolling and clicking as fast as I can because I really want to shoot people. So I finally get through all the terms and service. And I, and I go, did you read all those? And he's like, shut up. Like, so, and then we, we play and, and we save the world together. So 
you and I have not ever read the terms of service. And most of us have not even read, if you've ever purchased a house and signed a mortgage, you haven't read all those things. You trust somebody who you don't know who's telling you this means this and this means that and you're signing and you're clicking, yes, I've read and agreed and we, we don't. We just don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. And then we read little fun articles and hear little updates and sometimes it happens in Senate testimony of this is what these companies are doing and you should really read all. We're still not gonna read it, right? I think there are some stories in scripture that has the effect on us of the terms and service, terms of service that we don't read. We may or may not agree with. There are parts of, of scripture and what we see in today is these narratives parts of the book of Acts that are telling us really important things. And we've maybe heard them before or you're somewhat familiar with it but it has about the impact on us as the terms of service do that we scroll through and say that's for other people and I'm glad some lawyer took care of that but we just click and, and done and it's there but it actually doesn't have any real impact on us and we, we don't hold it as if it's particularly relevant or necessary or maybe even valuable for us. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a story of a group of people and then we're gonna look at the story of one particular individual, two stories that I think we kind of treat like the terms of service and we just go, that's in there and discard it and it's over there and it doesn't really impact us or make a difference. And I think there's a very clear reason why we do that is because we don't particularly like what it says. And so it's for other people, but it's not for us. It's in there and I've clicked it off, but I don't really allow it to impact my life. These two stories, are the first stories of persecution. They're the first stories of people suffering for being identified with Jesus. They're the first stories of real cost, real sacrifice, of, of real suffering that are paid. There's in chapters five, six, seven, and the very beginning of eight. And in the book of Acts, the first few chapters are these exciting, wonderful things, these promises fulfilled of the Holy Spirit showing up and people being healed and signs and wonders over and over and over again. And the name of Jesus being named and people coming in the church, coming into existence and then rapidly growing. And so we have this amazing story. We're like, Acts chapter one, I love that. Acts chapter two, that's even better. Acts chapter three, that's good. Four, meh. Five, six, seven, eight, what is happening? Like, can we just skip through? And if you don't know this, the book of Acts is the story. And then the rest of the New Testament are these letters of things that are happening within the story that Acts tells. And then there's Revelation that's tacked on at the end that talks about both the present and the future. So Acts is really, really important. And it tells the story of the first church. And there are parts of it that we'd kind of like just to skip over, skip over and not really let that absorb and sink in for us. And these are part of that, that it's, it's the persecution. And maybe we have some sense of that happens today, or maybe we're not even sure what persecution is, but as we look at these two stories, I want us to understand what it is, and then I've got three things for us. I've, I've got a question that I think screams from this text that we cannot avoid. I think there's a vision that is really helpful for us within, within these two stories, and then there is a promise that we all need to hear as well. So let's look closely at the, at the two stories, and then we'll go through the, the question, vision, and, and promise. And you heard this just a few moments ago as Grant read it, but look at it again in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And they were filled with jealousy because 
the church was moving and shaking and things were happening and people were following Peter and the apostles and believing in them and people were being healed. And so they were jealous. These religious leaders were jealous. They arrested the disciples and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said. So the angel does his miracle and then gives them directions as well. Just got out of jail, get out of jail free, just happened. The angel said, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. And so the disciples are out sometime in the night. Um, the religious leaders reconvene in the morning, thinking they're still in jail, and say, okay, we're ready, bring them in. We're gonna deal with them now. And they're not there. And they uh, are out teaching in the temple courts. And that gets back to the religious leaders. And they're like, okay, we'll go find them. I don't know how they get out of jail, but go find them and bring them in. So verse 27 says this, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. They said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And so part of what the teaching was, was, hey, these guys have gotten off the tracks. The, the apostles are talking about the current religious leaders and they're saying they actually had a hand in killing Jesus. They had an accurate assessment of the situation. That was true. They had had a hand in killing Jesus. So they didn't like that. That was bad press for them. They're saying, stop saying that. And then here's Peter's response. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. So uh, they, they kick him out of the, the, the kind of little mock trial thing that's going on where they're, they're questioning him. That gets them angry. They put him outside again and say, we've got we to debrief and figure out what to do with you. Gamaliel stands up. And he's one of them. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. The male stands up and says, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's take a deep breath here. Like, let's de-escalate a little bit. And let's just think about this. Peter and these apostles are doing all these crazy things and all this activity is coming on, coming up. And, and it's good for them, but bad for us. Let's take a deep breath here. Let's look in our recent past. There's a guy named Thetis who uh, rose up and said, I'm going to revolt against the Roman power. I'm going to revolt against the religious leaders. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to bring the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Thetis. None of us have really heard about him. Mentioned in the text. Thetis. 400 people followed him. So he's got a following. 400 people. Thetis was killed. And the 400 went, meh. We're going back to whatever we were doing before. We're done. Gamaliel shows the story with him. Remember Thetis? He was killed and the thing died. The movement died. Oh, then remember uh, Judas the Galilean. Another Judas that we haven't met through the Gospels yet. Another Judas. Judas the Galilean thought he was the Messiah too. Hundreds of people followed him too. And then he was killed and his followers scattered and we don't talk about him anymore. Now we've got Peter and his followers. So Gamaliel reasons with him and he says, hey, if this is just of human origin, if this is just like good marketing and tricks and magic and, and it just all goes away, then it's, a, it's just of human origin and we don't need to worry about it. But if it stays and holds, then it's of God. It's real. And if it is, there's nothing we can do about it as religious leaders. Then God's moving in a new way. And they all agree. They're like, yeah, you're pretty smart, Gamaliel. We're going to go with you. So this is what they do. They bring him in. In verse uh, 40 says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. So they, they beat him real well. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay? So they beat him. 
They were in jail, angel let them out, brought them in the next day, beat them and said, stop doing this and get out of here. They're let go. Here's, what, here's how they respond. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Listen to this. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, with a capital N, meaning Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They're beaten and they're told, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And they rejoice, they celebrate. That, that's hard for me to relate to. Um, here's the next story. It's about one man, it's about Stephen. There's two chapters essentially that tell the story of Stephen and he pops up and he's mentioned later on. Stephen is a, a guy who's identified as full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So people trust him and are drawn to him. They see God working in him, as are a number of other people that are listed. But Stephen is, uh, is out and he's, he's talking about Jesus and he's doing miracles and um, he's taken. Um, and he's pretty quickly um, gone through like this questioning and then he's, he's stoned, he's, he's killed. He's, Stephen is the first martyr. Stephen is the first person after Jesus to lose his life for being identified with Jesus. Critical character in the story of the church and in our story, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, critical person for us to know. In chapter six, verse nine, it says, now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. The Holy Spirit showed up right when Stephen needed him to show up. And he's in this debate. And he's not only hanging, he's kind of winning and he's convincing him. They can't hang with him. The Spirit shows up. Which, again, we've done this for the last three weeks in a row. But again, let's look back into the book of Luke where Jesus promised that that would happen. And now it's happening and we can hold that promise today. Where he says the, the Holy Spirit will show up. When you're questioned... Trust that the Holy Spirit will show up and speak in those moments. Stephen's another reminder that that's, that, that happens, that, he, that, that God is faithful in that. Verse 12 says this. So they stirred up the people and the elders. They couldn't hang with Stephen. So they said, let's stir up the people and the, elements and, and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This is what they said. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. And then verse 15 says this, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Which is asking, I mean, I don't know the last time you were questioned intently or people were lying about you, um, but, but you probably like this had, had the face of an angel. Stephen then has a chance to speak. And what we have in chapter seven, and if you've got a Bible in front of you that's like paper like this, if, if you're on a device and you gotta, you gotta scroll down much like the terms of service. You gotta just keep scrolling. It's, it's chapter seven and it's this page and it's the entire next page. And what it is, it's the longest teaching. It's the longest teaching in the book of Acts by anybody and it's Stephen. Now Stephen's the first martyr so we, we hold him up and we go, this is an example. Stephen wasn't a normal guy who was walking around teaching all the time. That that's, not, that's not what he was known for. Stephen actually had been picked. There was the apostles whose role in the early church was prayer and teaching, prayer and the word. And they got busy 
delivering food to those in need within this growing church. And so God led them by the spirit to make a decision. And the apostles got together and they prayed and they called in seven men who said are full of the spirit and are faithful. And these seven men are now gonna handle all the food distribution. Stephen was one of those guys. So Stephen is helping with this growing church of thousands of people and all these widows get, it, get food to them. And in his free time, he's walking around and God's using him for signs and wonders. And then he gets seized and put on trial. And we now have the longest teaching section from Stephen. Stephen was not designed to be a preacher, a teacher, an elder, a, a, of a, he's not a scribe, he's nothing like that. But yet we have the longest teaching from him. Why? Because he was full of faith he had spent time with the apostles. He spent time with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was working through him. And we have the longest teaching in the book of Acts. And the conclusion of it is this. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard his speech, heard everything he said, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's as if he's saying, like, look, it's true. Jesus is not dead. He's really alive. I'm convinced of it. I know this. I've just done this whole long thing, and you've made you angry. But look, it's true. I can see it. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. Imagine that scene. He's up, like, in the witness box. And he looks up to heaven and goes, I can see it. Everything I just said, I just got validation. It's true. And they just rush him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul, who we'll get to in future chapters. While he, we were, they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's a lot. It's a story of Peter and the apostles and them being beaten and put in jail and told not to speak anymore and they go off rejoicing. There's a story of one man, of Stephen, who's called, first of all, to help the church distribute food. And then he just starts talking about Jesus more and more. Signs and wonders are done through him and he gets put on trial, dragged out because he made him speaking the truth of who Jesus is made them so angry that they dragged him out and killed him on the spot. He's the first martyr. There's a question mixed into this that I just, I just think is so obvious and it, and it comes up and it's just, it's just present there and we have to deal with it. We can't avoid it. It's a question I think that whether we do it intentionally or even we're aware of it, we kind of, we kind of take these stories and slide them off to the side and go, that's, that's the terms of service. We know they're out there, but I don't know that that really, I really need to know them and be familiar with it. When we read stories of, of persecution, which, and we said this a couple weeks ago, but after chapter three in the book of Acts, from chapter 24 all the way through the end through chapter 28, it's 25 chapters 22 of those 25 specifically mention suffering, sacrifice, and persecution when it comes to being identified with Jesus. The record, the narrative of the early church is a narrative of sacrifice for Jesus. There's no other way around it. 
And so we, we kind of want to say that's over there. And those are terms of service for a different age or a different time, but we're, we're in 2023. And we have really comfortable seats on Sunday. And it's not super popular to be a follower of Jesus in Portland, Vancouver, in the Pacific Northwest. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting by. And that's where this question comes in that Peter answers and the apostles answer so clearly in their story when they say, we must obey God over human beings. The question for us is who, who do we obey at that moment where we might have to sacrifice something? At that moment when the thing we have to sacrifice might be our, our comfort, our reputation, what our coworkers think of us, what our friends think of us, or maybe something greater. We, we do not live in a context like North Korea where to be a Christian is against the law. There's state-sponsored persecution against Christians. We don't live in a place like China where to gather like we're gathering right now. If we haven't signed all the documents with the Chinese government and we haven't gotten cleared and approved, and if whoever is standing up here doing this doesn't sign off on some theological statements that the Chinese government script, then this gets shut down and our social credit score goes down and we don't have access to the things that we use and need every single day in the same way that we have before. We don't live in that kind of a setting. But the question before us of do we obey human beings or do we obey God at that moment where it might cost us something, however small or minor that might be. We see in this story that when Peter and the apostles and Stephen made their decision to answer that question, we're going with God. Whatever human is asking me to do something, if it's contrary to what God is asking me, I'm going with God. When they make that decision, the impact on those that have chosen other is so obvious. The word is furious, and it pops up a couple times through these two stories. The religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders of that community rise up with fury and gnashing of teeth. Fury? I don't remember last time I've, I've been furious. Uh, maybe I've tried to block that out of my mind, but you know, think of what fury feels like for you when that rises up for you. The word here means to, um, in fact, if you've got a different maybe translation or, or version of the Bible, it might actually look different. Instead of the word fury, you might have there, uh, cut to the quick. We kind of get that, cut cut to the quick or cut to the heart, like, like oh, that, that, cut, that cut me close, that cut me deep. Um, it also means it has the imagery of a saw cutting something in half. The imagery is the leaders, the men that responded with fury were, were torn. Another way to say that is uh, you maybe need to be in the theater in Shakespeare or something, but, but rent with vexation. I'm vexed. I don't think I've ever said that word before, but, but torn, like I'm split. I'm not calm. I'm not free of anxiety. I'm not clear. I'm confused and there's so much going on. And so in the midst of that, they're being literally split because I hear what these people are saying and I know what they've decided, but I'm torn because I, I wanna go this direction. We all have experienced that kind of, we haven't put this word on it, but fury that tension, 
of being torn. And what these are stories for that matter for us and why we, we need to bring them front and center and look at them and read them and understand them and, and sit with them. And as we say sometimes, let, let these stories read us. Is that we've, we've made decisions where we've said, I'm gonna follow the human pressure instead of the call from God. And that's a struggle that all of us come back to over and over and over again. And they didn't, they didn't master this. The apostles and Peter had to keep coming back to this over and over and over again. But in that moment, at that time, to have a sense of courage to say yes. And what Acts has been leading us up to is we've talked about courage the last number of weeks, two, three weeks ago and two weeks ago, is it takes courage to be able to, to say, I'm gonna go with God even when there's a cost to me. One of the things that we're invited to in this season is to learn how to invite the Holy Spirit into that very moment when we're torn. (laughs) My default is that when I feel that tension is is to only consult my own mind. Is that I immediately go into how am I gonna handle this? What am I gonna do? And what we see in Peter and the apostles and Stephen is them saying, no, God, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, help me through this. When, when Stephen is, is pressured, he, he prays. He looks up to heaven. Peter and the apostles praying in prison and the angel shows up. When they have to stand before and have courage and say something that's gonna be very costly to them, that's gonna end up with them getting beaten. Or their freedom's taken away or commanded not to do things, that they invite the Holy Spirit into that and say, Spirit, would you, would you help me right now make a decision that says, God, I, I don't wanna go with human beings. I wanna, I wanna go with you and I know that there's a cost that's gonna be paid. And so how, how can I actually pay that price and, and learn how to, can, can we say it in this way, disobey humans? When we obey what God's calling us into, there's a disobedience that happens to the human voices and pressure around us. And let me, let me be clear on this. I, experienced this yesterday, and I want to, I want to be clear. Um, uh, Connor mentioned earlier that a number of us that were serving yesterday with the food distribution was, uh, were, were kids. And I think there was a, a nine-year-old that got word that in the break room that there was donuts. And he came and he asked me, and he said, there's donuts. Can I have a donut? And I said, I don't know you have to ask your parents for that. So parents, you're welcome. But so for him, it's not disobey humans and go have a donut. It's not, um, oh, I need to be, uh, disobey somebody that is, is, is pressuring me and, and has appropriate authority over me and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna disobey them. It's, it's disobeying pressures and individuals and people in this world that are directly competing with what Jesus is calling us into. And we find ourselves regularly with opportunities to say, I'm gonna take the easy route that's not gonna cost me anything and obey humans, or I'm gonna take the costly route and obey God. There's a whole other portion of scripture that says, if we suffer for doing right, um, what is that when everybody does right? But if we suffer when we obey God, and it costs us something, that's when God shows up and provides for us and takes care of us. 
We all have that question <clears throat> that shows up in maybe multiple times a day. Or as we're talking about this right now, you know there's one specific relationship or situation where you say, I don't want to go with God because it's, it's costly. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me to be able to pay that price and say yes to you and no to those around me. The second thing is this, is a vision of what living distinctly different lives look like. Part of the way that we talk about our vision as a church is that we are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. And so as we go about our days and our weeks where we live with the people that we regularly interact with that we're around, we're called to actually stand out and be different. And it might not look like this that we get flogged and certainly not stoned, but we do pay a price socially at times, relationally at times. What does it look like to look distinctly different as a follower of Jesus in the world today? And what we do is we have a vision of this specifically in the person of Stephen. Listen to these three things that, that we heard earlier. We're talking about him having a face of an angel. That was in response to being lied about. That they, they orchestrated people to come up and tell false testimony about Stephen. And then they looked at him. How is he gonna respond to this? Because this is rigged. And they're looking at, at Stephen like, he's gonna be angry and he's gonna blow his lid and he's gonna be all ex- upset and throw stuff and maybe fight. And he has the face of an angel. That's distinctly different. When they were furious and gnashing their teeth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and had a vision of Jesus. When they're angry at him and their faces are red and they're yelling at him and gnashing his teeth, I thought, I don't, that seems more costly to them than to Stephen, but he's sitting there and he, he asks, Holy Spirit, be with me right now. And he looks up to heaven and sees Jesus. That's probably not how some of us would respond. And then the ultimate thing that we can't imagine what it feels like, but to have stones hurled at us, intending to kill us, being stoned, he prayed for them. So here we have Stephen, who is worthy of us looking at and reading and appreciating and then trying to emulate. How do we do that? How do we respond in such a gracious, kind, and winsome way when we are being threatened, when we're being lied about? And again, hopefully nobody ever has a stone thrown at them. But when he's in the midst of paying the price of being identified with Jesus, his response, I would say, is Christ-like. And he models something completely different. As this kind of, as I wrote this out and realized this is, this is the picture that we're getting, this is the vision, we're getting the vision of a human being that is living a distinctly different life in a, in a costly moment. And I couldn't help but thinking like, I, want, I wonder what Stephen's like morning looks like. How does a man get to the point where he's able to do that? What does that look like? Like, what is, his, what is his heart like? Like, if I could just sit down with Stephen and be like, how do you do that when everybody is angry at you and coming after you? How do you respond? Like, I just want to glean from you. Like, tell me what it's like. And realizing a couple weeks ago, we talked about what it's like to have courage for Jesus in costly situations. And we had, we had this list, if you, can, if you can throw it up here, it says, courage for Jesus, and it comes from these things, it comes with being with Jesus. Stephen spent time with the apostles who had spent time with Jesus. They had, they had led him and trained him and taught him and modeled for him what it was like to be with Jesus and to walk with Jesus. So that when he looked up to heaven, he saw an image of, of Jesus and he's like, yeah, we've been talking all day. We've been walking together, I've spent time with you. Certainly had the Holy Spirit, it comes from growing clarity of the good news. He had just had the longest teaching and recorded in Acts, sharing just that, the good news, comes from choosing Jesus above all others habitually and 
we're now in it, but we saw a couple weeks ago, it comes with a cost. When these situations come up, he consistently chooses Jesus. Stephen's heart and mind were so formed around Jesus and soft and moldable and guidable by the Holy Spirit that when those moments popped up, that he was ready to go. I, I can respond in this way. In our culture in the last seven years, the, the rapid rise in, in conversation, discussion, and training on how to de-escalate, how to get along with others who think differently, how to ask good questions and to listen well has rapidly increased because our society has gotten more divided and divisive. And so what a wonderful opportunity for us to see and hear the call of Jesus to be winsome and kind and gentle in all situations. And knowing that we don't have the skill or power to do that on our own, but we actually need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to do that. We're heading into a holiday season. If you didn't know that, I'm, or if that's scary or something, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to let you know that we're heading into the holiday season. That means time with family and friends. We just had dinner with friends last night and we're sharing our, our schedules and who we're with. And some of those plans are really fun and exciting and others are with family that we know we don't get along with real well, that we think differently. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've already had that says, I've, I've got to spend time with my parents, in-laws, sister and her husband and family, this person, that. And we come from different parts of the U.S. We have different backgrounds. We have different beliefs now and we think differently and we can hardly sit around the same table. What if we were all to say, what if we were the kind of people that chose to be winsome over choosing to be right? We would look distinctly different. What if we said, I'm just going to try to stay curious and ask good questions and think. And as much as my mind just goes, like locks up or explodes because they just articulated what they think or believe that I somehow followed up with another question and let them share more, even though I can't imagine how they got to that place in the first place. But for us to be the kind of people that exude kindness and gentleness and seek to be winsome so that when people look at us and go, oh, that's a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, and if somebody says like, wow, you have the face of an angel, like, woo, post that. Like, that's awesome. Stephen models for us what it means to live distinctly different when it was costing him in the moment at the time. And he remained faithful through that. And he's with Jesus right now, healthy and whole, no bruises or broken bones from being stoned. Jesus said this uh, in John chapter 15, if you throw it up. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Strong language, I know. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, this is, this is how they treated me. This is how they're going to treat you. And I am with you when I hear that. And I immediately want to put that over in the terms of service and go, I know that's out there, but I don't know that that really applies to me. When our vision is actually that of not just Stephen, but also the disciples, 
can we hold for a minute before God the chance that we actually could rejoice when we pay that price because we have such confidence that God is going to use that for his good. And that's the promise. If the question is who we're gonna obey and the vision is one of Stephen being a distinctly different person, the promise is that God uses whatever suffering, sacrifice, or persecution we experience for his purposes, for his good. This section ends with the scattering of the church. The church is scattered, it, it's sent out. And it lists two, spaces, two places specifically, Judea and Samaria. And we're gonna read in the coming weeks, we're gonna take some time off of, off of Acts for, for Advent, but when we come back, we're gonna pick up, and what we're gonna see is the church goes from this, this hugely rapidly expanding but Jewish community, new church family in Jerusalem, and it gets spread out across Israel and begins to involve people of all different ethnic backgrounds. And more people are reached with the news of Jesus and more people come into the family of God because the church suffered in Jerusalem and then was scattered because at the moment that Stephen was executed, they realized were under threat. Some stayed and many split and they went to other towns and other villages and other cities and the church grew. When we suffer, we can hold on to the promise that God is gonna use it. We might see it, we might know about it, we might see a person come to Jesus, we might see some good happen that we could never imagine happen, or we might not happen in our lifetime, but that God will use it for his purposes in his time. We have a, let me read this last verse as we, as we come to this table together. There's this, there's this verse I want us to hear. It's 2 Timothy chapter one. We don't have it up on the screen. But it says this, for the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit that God gave you, the spirit that is in me, the spirit is in us, did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of love and of self-discipline and of power. And what if we were to be a Build to be those kind of people when we have that moment of, am I going to obey God or am I going to obey human beings? God, this is going to cost me something, but I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to step out in power and confidence, holding onto the promise that you're going to use it. Would you help me to be a distinctly different person in this world today with those that you give me opportunity to be around and to be near? One of the things that coming to this table reminds us of as each and every one of us walk to this table, this reminds us of our standing between us and the God of the universe who has given us Jesus to cover over our sins and to forgive us. And it tells us that we're invited into his mission in the world right now. There's no special qualification. Any disqualification that you feel you might have has been overcome by the blood of Jesus. And there is a role and a purpose and a mission that God wants you to join him in with your life. This is a reminder to us that not only does our standing before God clean and forgiven and clear, but that he wants to use us in some way wherever he has placed us right here and now. And so as we come, would we remember those are those that gone before us that rejoiced when they paid a price and they sacrificed. Would we be able to be those kind of people? Would God use us? Would we have the opportunity and honor to pay some price for his good and his name to be known.
Jesus, as we come to these tables in front of us this morning, as we see the, the cups that represent your blood shed for us and these little crackers that represent your body broken for us, would we be reminded that you are alive, that you reign, that you rule, that you're active here and now, and that you've invited us not just to be whole in you, but to be used by you, and that might be costly. And to know that we're not blazing some new trail, there's not some unknown, that you've told a story about some story, both in scripture and throughout the history of your church, that you work through our lives, when we give them to you, when we sacrifice them to you, when we're willing to pay a price for you, you're faithful to use them. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to, to be active and moving, even in this moment as we sing and come to your table, that you would fill us in new ways, that you would give us courage that we've longed for but not had. And would we be your people, even in this immediate next week and season, that Jesus, you would be known through us.